I'm Emily. Nope. I'm gonna- what? I have to restart because I was <laughs> in the middle of choking. Sorry. One more time. I'm Emily. I'm Jennifer. And this is All Things Terror, a research-based podcast where we tell you stories from science, history, and true crime that will keep you up at night. And apparently make you choke after you drink some vodka. Uh, if only I had that power to make people randomly choke after they drink vodka, I would not be wasting it on you, my friend. <laughs> so, I have a question for you. Oh no. What was one of your favorite movies in high school? Oh god, this is gonna be just the super deeply embarrassing um well i love the breakfast club even though i think it probably came out the year i was born um but i also have students who love the breakfast club so that's just like a classic movie but i was really into the breakfast club and i was really into the royal tenenbaums like in hindsight when i look back teenage emily was basically just trying to be margot tenenbaum like to an embarrassing amount like the little bob haircut and like uh i i have always for many reasons thought i had a deeper voice but i have a very deep monotone voice like i i still to this day have to sometimes tell my students like i'm not being sarcastic i just don't modulate the tone of my voice very much uh the secret smoking yeah it's it's horrifically embarrassing um but probably the royal tenenbaums and the breakfast club did you find anything creepy about those movies i mean no i don't think they're creepy movies they're just about people i didn't and how it's creepy to like be alive i guess <laughs> being alive is creepy <laughs> i mean we can only hope that death takes us soon well one of my favorite movies in high school and it's probably still one of my all-time favorite movies, because every time I watch it, I just... There's nothing that I hate about it. And... That's that's a big compliment coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the movie is Doctor Strangelove. I've never seen it. Uh, I'm so ashamed. It is hands down just... There's so much about it that you can deconstruct and pull apart. And on top of that, like, genuinely, the dark comedy part of it is very funny and also very dark. Yeah. And it's in black and white. So, you know, also bonus there because I clearly am living in the wrong time in the world. But <laughs> quick summation, since you haven't seen it and I'm not going to tell any more than uh, this, which is. An American general uh, whose name is General Jack Ripper believes the communists are trying to pollute the precious bodily fluids of the American people flu through fluoridation of the water. Uh, this sounds like a little too close to what some right-wing nutjobs actually believe. So he orders American bombers to drop hydrogen bombs on the USSR. <laughs> Again, uh, doesn't seem that uh, far off from real life. That that's that's your driving plot there 
for that movie. Also, I'm aware of this movie because it is such a classic that I'm ashamed I have not seen it. Although there are a lot of classic movies that I have not seen, as we have discussed before. Well, see, when I come to Colorado, we're going to have to watch this movie. Yeah, we are. We have a whole list going of things we're going to have to do, like crafts, drink vodka. I'm going to teach you how to sew. It's just going to be a wild time. When I go to Colorado, it it's not just crafting. It's we're going to make pillowcases. I mean, we could... That's what you said. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could theoretically make anything you want, but a pillowcase would be like very easy to like show you all of the skills you would need to then go home and do other things and understand. To make a bigger. Yeah. To make a bigger pillowcase. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, you could, you could immediately be like, look, I made this. That's true. But anyways, we we have a whole plan for Colorado. It's going to be great. Well, going, going back to, uh, Dr. Strangelove, uh, there is a character whose name is, you guessed it, Dr. Strangelove. Um, I actually Dr. was Strange- not thinking that. I don't know why. <laughs> this is a real dumb moment. I was like, oh, yeah, that is pretty obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the movie Dr. Strangelove has a Dr. Strangelove. And Dr. Strangelove is an ex-Nazi scientist and is President Merkin Muffley's scientific advisor i'm sorry the president is named merkin yes like a wig for your pubes as in m-e-r-k-i-n yeah that's exactly how you spell it do you think that's where the term (laughs) merkin came from no i all of these names are jokes it's merkin muffley m-u-f-f-l-e why? Okay, so Merkin as a pube wig probably existed before this movie. <laughs> yes. Oh wow! I. You know, if you're if you're bored, um, don't ruin the movie by reading about the movie. Just go look at the name of the characters, and you'll get endless entertainment there. Just have some IMDb time. So, if if that character doesn't sound interesting enough, um. One of the things that he does is that his, uh, one of his hands will involuntarily go up into a Nazi salute, and throughout the movie you'll see him wrestling to control his hand doing this thing. And I think, you know, it. I'm not sure it was directly discussed, but it's like a biomedical, mechanical hand creation thing. But basically, Dr. Strangelove... The ex-Nazi scientist, now, I guess, reformed ex-Nazi scientist, now presidential advisor, has alien hand syndrome. Mm, okay. This is like that horror movie uh, from, like, the early 90s where it's a bunch of teenagers and the hand, like, murders people and he has to cut his hand off or something. 1999, Idle Hands. <laughs> See, this is why I think in the last episode we were talking about how we're so different, but this is exactly why we're friends, is because I'm like, you know that one random thing, and you're like, yes. It is that thing. <clears throat> Sorry, losing my voice. So, um, 
Alien Hand Syndrome, AHS. Stop. This is really what you're talking about? Yes. Oh my gosh, I didn't know this was a real thing. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) It is a real thing. It's basically when a person experiences their hand, limbs, hand, limb, hand, limb, body part, um, as either dissociated, so doesn't feel like it's their hand, or it um, acts on their own. So their armor hand does its own thing. Fascinating. And it, it needs to be um, distinguished because there are some conditions where uh, people don't believe that that part of their body is theirs. It's not the issue here. Like, they understand. Like, I understand that this is my arm, but it doesn't feel like it belongs to me. Yeah, like something else is living in this part of my body. Yes. It's it's a whole separate entity on its own. Exactly. Like, being possessed. So, uh, alien hand syndrome is relatively rare. Uh, rare. I, there uh, aren't a whole lot of direct numbers on it, but the approximation is like roughly like four dozen cases total um, in a certain rolling time frame, which I don't have for you. Hmm. But it's it's not extremely common, common, but it is something that is very pervasive in its references and like pop culture. So I just told you about Dr. Strangelove. Um, there's Idle Hands. Was it Seth Green or maybe I, I remember know. it being that actor who was like a heartthrob in the nineties and he was Casper in that movie with Christina Ricci when he turns into a, a human. Uh was he the werewolf in Buffy Vampire Slayer? I don't remember werewolves in vamp in Buffy at all. Uh Devin oh, okay. Saba does that sound like a real blah, blah. I don't really remember uh, that movie all too much because, uh, spoiler alert, not that great. I don't know if that's really you know a what? spoiler, I just, but it's just not that I great. I just Googled it, and Devin Sawa is a real human uh, who is in that movie, Seth Green as well, and ah. in true early 90s fashion... Um, Jessica Alba and Vivica A. Fox. That's like the most that that all makes sense. Yep, it's like the most uh, '90s lineup I can possibly imagine. The only thing that's really missing is like Nev Campbell. Yeah, yeah, uh, or like a um, uh, Gen- Jennifer Aniston. Who's the guy that's married to Kristen Bell? <laughs> no idea. He's uh he's tall and Dax Shepard. He was in like all those silly nineties movies as well. Anyway. Oh nineties movies. We've uh we've shown ourselves to be uh the dumb old people that we are. Uh please take us away from this nineties. Sure. Oh my gosh, I just keep my mind just keeps popping with uh 90s actors please please change the subject (laughs) so i'm taking back over here so there's like so many pop culture references um i watched every episode of house there's an episode of house where alien hand syndrome shows up 
Um, there is, uh, the, God, it was, like, a movie from the 1980s, uh, The Hand, you, um, what was the name of that stupid 80s movie? Hold on. Uh, yeah, it was The Hand. Okay. Confident. 100% sure. 1980s movie called The Hand, basically an exaggeration of alien hand syndrome, like being way more autonomous in a horror movie setting. And then, of course, you have like Adam's family. You have the actual thing. Just going to um, say that if you think Adam's family is like tapping into the same thing, you read my mind. Yeah. Um, South Park does an episode uh, where. Uh, Cartman actually has alien hand syndrome. There is, uh, there was a episode on the Discovery Channel from a television show I cannot remember the name of um, that talked about alien hand syndrome and the history of alien hand syndrome. Uh, and then um, Fever Dream has, it's a short story by Ray Bradbury, if no one's ever read that, uh, talks about uh, alien hand syndrome. Clive Barker brings it up in The Body Politic. Huh. Uh, even Angel had an episode, and The Simpsons had an episode. And um, when I was just perusing and reading casually about it, I also saw that there was a reference to it in Metal Gear Solid, which I have mentioned that game several times um, in the past when we talk about some of these things i i'm starting to feel like metal gear solid just references all kinds of things well it's because you are a nerd that's what it's telling me you're a nerd whatever (laughs) (laughs) so it is it you know it's it's something that really does live in the human imagination and in popular culture and it's kind of easy to understand why when you think about it like imagine something on you acting independent of you yeah and so it's interesting because a lot of these uh some of these are uh representations are a little closer to home and some of them are extreme uh extremely hyperbolic you know they really exaggerate you know in the instance of like the horror movies or adam's family right what alien hand syndrome is right but um, there's some interesting things about alien hand, hand syndrome. So when we talk about a, a person experiencing their limbs, acting on their own, or feeling as though it's not a, their hand, it's possessed, um, this person doesn't have any control over the movements, but really what distinguishes it from just like, you know, like involuntary muscle contractions or um driven movements is that and this is from in uh ncbi is that it is complex and goal-driven task movements and um what's interesting uh just as a little aside people usually name their alien hand stop really yes um that is a a common thing it's like a pet, or like Dexter when he talks about his dark passenger. Yes, uh, th- they name it Dark Passenger. What really? And oh, no. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. <laughs> well, no, they 
a lot of people name their hand and it's somewhat like a a coping strategy and you'll understand why soon enough but like you know if my hand was acting independent from me i'd be like all right steven i need you to stop closing that drawer i just fucking opened it i mean you know that's sort of how i describe my period because i feel like that bitch operates independently of me (laughs) not quite like a period but sure yeah um so uh and what else is interesting about it is that it typically affects the non-dominant hand. That is interesting. You'd think, like, goal-driven behavior would be associated with your dominant hand. But in this instance, the hand that's always, you know, secondary becomes independent and does what it wants. Yeah, bitch. I'm not going to be second fiddle to the other hand no more. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I'm a strong, independent hand. I don't need no other hand. <laughs> the The hand has discovered its own power. The hand is getting its groove back. <laughs> so, oh, I'm how sorry. does this happen? Is the hand becoming a middle-aged woman? Uh, yeah, it is. Cool. Cheers, hand. <laughs> well, we've just connected... All kinds of conversations we had. And now you can't <laughs> cut that out, Clint. Ha ha ha. Um, so how does it happen? Well, it's complicated. Um, but they have seen the presence of alien hand syndrome in these kinds of circumstances. So if you have surgery to have your two hemispheres uh, of your brain separated, <gasps> people usually do this at treat epilepsy that can trigger it yeah okay and in true basically webmd fashion a whole other list of things so brain surgery stroke infection tumor aneurysm you know how i feel about aneurysm migraine degenerative diseases like alzheimer's and uh, cortical basal degeneration um Damage, general damage to the corpus uh, callosum, cancer, so lots of things can <laughs> cause Again, it. Again, in classic WebMD fashion, you're never more than uh, four items away from cancer. <laughs> you're one nosebleed away from cancer. So it sounds like it's like, okay, your brain, part of your brain is damaged or changes, and so your brain can't communicate in the way that it does. Yes, and it, this is where it gets really interesting. So, primary areas of damage happen to the corpus callosum, which I said, and the frontal lobe. Mm. But they have seen instances of uh, alien hand syndrome where there is damage to the occipital lobe and the parietal lobe. Well, those are towards the back of your brain, right? They're they're oh, not parietal. near the frontal lobe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. your parietal is on the top and your occipital is in the back, I think. If I'm remembering so, my... Well, those are your bones, anyway. I assume they map to the parts of your brain. So, we will post this picture on our social media, but it's like, yeah, so it's the back part of your brain, it looks like. Yeah, so um, your frontal lobe, you guessed it, it's on the front. <laughs> well, your frontal, but the... your frontal lobe is super important for 
anything that we associate with humans, right? If you've heard of CTE in football, um, where it, I mean, it cognitively destroys them, it's because they're getting concussions at the front of their head and it destroys their frontal lobe. Yep. And so the parietal lobe is not the back of your head, but it's like really next to the back of your head. Yeah, it's like and it sits right 75% on... of the way towards the back. <laughs> yeah. And then it sits right next to the occipital uh, lobe, which is actually the back of your head, but not the bottom. It's just the back. Okay. So, uh, interesting. Yeah. What that means, not clear to me. I'm not a neuroscientist, but... <laughs> I have a question, I... but I think you're going to answer it. So I'm not going to ask it, but when we get to the end, let's double back and make sure that one of us says, does this answer your question, Emily? Okay. So short summation here is that something happens and the primary motor cortex is isolated from the premotor cortex's ability to like influence it and tell it stuff. So uh, and the primary motor cortex is the stuff that helps you contrain, uh, control, not contrain, control your hand movements. That's what contrain is, hand movements, control altogether. So, um, so it's like, okay, so your brain does two things. One is it does all the automatic stuff. Like it tells you to breathe and like, you know, if someone says, like, if you see something and you duck, like your brain reacts before you think it through. So you have your like lizard brain that's all about reaction and keeping you alive. And then you have your human brain that like thinks about things and has an interior monologue and like considers thoughts. So is it what's happening is that your lizard movement brain can't talk to your thinking brain anymore about the hand? Uh, not exactly. It's more like... It would have been great if you were like, yes, precisely. <laughs> it's more like your thinking part of your brain doesn't get to tell the part of your brain that tells your hands what to do anything but the hands still does it like i said it's not it's and it's not like reactionary or automatic it's like i said doing complex goal-driven tasks it's a weird weird situation yeah it's it's so mind-blowing like i keep picturing like a hand washing dishes or like playing the piano while the body is like oh, i need to do something else <laughs> <laughs> So, well, it gets, it's a little more interesting, too, because we'll get there. Um, so what I do want to mention is that there's no cure, but they have several options for treatment. But, but before I jump into those treatments, the thing I want to talk about um, is that um, sometimes people only have a couple of instances of their hand being an alien hand. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not something that's ongoing and forever, but for some people, it is pretty so it's constant. It's, so it's an inconsistent experience. It's like a, if you have like your foot removed and then you have people call it like phantom whatever. It's phantom pains or something. So like if I have my right foot amputated, I might wake up a couple times and be like, oh, my foot itches and I'll feel an itch even though the foot's not there. But that doesn't have most people don't have that forever. Like they only have it a couple instances. So is, is that similar or different? It is somewhat like that, but like I said, on the other hand, there are people that experience it pretty frequently. Yeah. 
And it's also something where, because um, I love all things nebulous and, and, and uncertain, it can last, you know, having alien hand syndrome could last several days to an indefinite time period. Okay, so this is the question I was going to ask you earlier, and I feel like this is now a good time to ask it. So if it's after brain surgery, this happens a lot where your brain has a weird time communicating, but your brain builds new pathways to talk. So one of the things I was going to ask is, does it like go away? Like, does your brain somehow find a way to compensate for it? And it sounds like your answer is maybe, maybe not. Yes, maybe, maybe not. But they do, they, this is the scientific community. By the way, guys, reading science journals, especially medical ones, really fucking boring. Yeah. It's some dry stuff. And you have to like translate everything back into human language. That's how I feel. Sorry, scientists. Well, and like you and I both come out of a field that does qualitative research. So I'm used to like, if I have to read a scholarly article, I have to read the whole thing and I have to like know all this background and learn all this complex vocabulary. And when I look at like quantitative studies, I'm like, okay, so I need to read the abstracts and the discussions and maybe the conclusions. And then I can look at their methods, but it like, it takes me like five minutes and I'm like, this is so much easier. But dry. Yeah. Yeah. But also then <laughs> so, you're supposed to remember it, even though it's dry and boring. And anyway, we've, we've just this is, shown our biases as humanities people. I mean, I don't, it, different conversation for a different day. But, <laughs> you're like, Emily, shut um, up. <laughs> so uh, what I wanted to say was, is that there is some indication that, um, as the brain is healing, it is able to create new pathways, and sometimes that conversation that got disrupted gets reconnected, and people don't experience alien hand syndrome anymore. But, hmm. you know, um, although we live in 2019, not everything in the world is known to man. Like, m- there's a lot of stuff that's still, like, medical mysteries, you know? And this is just one of those things where it's like, the brain is weird and complex, and we can't always predict what it's going to do. Insert shocked Pikachu face. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, treatments. This is where things get maybe a little funny to me. Um, so... Oh, no. <laughs> Uh, so one of the treatments is Botox or benzos. Ah, okay. That's interesting. So Botox, you know, does what Botox does. Um, benzos, I don't know if people know anything about benzodiazepine. They are used to treat a litany of things from anxiety to epilepsy to just general human malaise. (laughs) Yeah, they're um, really, really strong drugs. Yeah. Um, so, Klonopin, I think, yeah. is in that category. Xanax, I think. So, these are these are used uh, the you know medicine form of treatment, but most treatment doesn't uh, require injections or uh, medication. I will say, Botox is famous for being the thing that gets rid of your wrinkles. But it has a paralytic effect, which is why it gets rid of your wrinkles. But it also um, 
speaking in a clinical sense, it's uh, used for migraines. Yeah. Uh, my thesis advisor had crippling migraines, like very, very frequently. And she said that getting Botox for those migraines, like legitimately changed her life. Like from year one to year two of working very closely with her and ha and having classes with her, I was like, you are a new person. Like it was insane how much it helped her. Um, so I'm assuming that this is where Botox does like a paralytic effect or something. Botox yep, exactly. is a very weird drug and could possibly be its own episode. It's very interesting. And it does more than make you feel beautiful on the inside. Yeah, I uh, my mom has had Botox and um, all signs. My both of my parents, by the way, are aging insanely well for two people who have mostly spent their lives smoking and not wearing sunscreen. Uh, but my mom has had Botox and she looks easily ten years younger than she actually is, if not more. And so I am already like. Yeah, Botox is in my future. I have that one wrinkle up the middle of my head from constantly cocking one eyebrow. And I'm like, 10 years, get a Botox, it'll be fine. <laughs> oh, I haven't... I don't even think about my wrinkles from, like, furrowing my eyebrows at people all the time. But anyways, so uh, that's one treatment. Another treatment is... Uh, <laughs> Is it's it a poop transplant? Just, it's just restraining the oh, hand. Oh, no. <laughs> so, like, people will sit on the hand or, like, they'll... There's, like, a special type of, like, cast or something that you can put it in to, like, keep it from, like, grabbing at things and stuff. I pictured, like, a miniature bondage suit. <laughs> <laughs> or a miniature bondage suit. Whatever. You know, whatever you feel comfortable going out in public You've in. You've been a bad, bad hand. <laughs> So the third treatment is training people to get the hand to do a task. And this is actually really hard to do because, remember, these two parts of the brain aren't talking yeah, to each other. okay. Interesting. So the strategy is basically it's trying to get the hand to do something very, very basic. It's not going to be a complex, complex task. But if they're successful, um, what they think is happening is that you're basically rewiring the pre-motor cortexes, like, communication pathways. So if, if you have damage in your brain that's causing stuff not to talk to each other, if it's starting to heal and it's something that is, you know, healable, then this might be a path. Otherwise, it's just incredibly frustrating to sit there and be like, okay, now tap your finger and you're just trying to tap your finger, but instead your hand is, like, giving you the bird. Oh, okay, so. that's interesting. That reminds me, I had a friend who uh, worked as a behavioral specialist for children who had autism. And one of the things that uh, children with autism do is um, called stemming. And it's, like, repetitive movement, like rocking or, like, like smacking themselves or like doing some sort of weird repetitive movement and so one of the things she did was like help them redirect that stemming into something that was <laughs> more acceptable for society like that's exactly what it was was like retraining these people to like 
like these uncontrollable impulses that they have, helping them retrain it to be something that wouldn't freak people out, uh, which is kind of a bummer. Like it would have been kind of better if society would just be like, all right, this person's rocking. That's fine. But um, yeah, that it was difficult. That was a hard part of her job. And that's kind of what this reminds me of. Yeah. It sounds like it's in, in the same vein of like, trying to convert a behavior into a different type of behavior in order to exercise control. And and this Um, sounds almost different because if you feel like the hand isn't yours and you're like, well, train it to do this. You're like, I can't train it. It's its own entity. It's like, it's the worst dog ever. (laughs) It doesn't sit or anything. Come here, come here, Poochie. And it just runs the other way. You're like, damn it. So the one of the it seems to be the most common treatment and is by far my favorite and I'm going to phrase it this way on purpose because I'm in a super oh Star Wars God. kind of mode. But the treatment is to keep the rebel hand <laughs> occupied. Uh, all right. Well, now I'm just picturing a hand uh, with Princess Leia, tiny Princess Leia buns on it, uh, flipping the bird like constantly. yes a lot like that but basically it's okay well let's control it being disruptive by here's a thing to do and like i i don't know exactly how this method methodology completely works but it's like all right so instead of this hand just like you know doing i don't know uh something annoying like tapping like a whole lot that's what it wants to do it's tap it taps it's like you like give it a pencil or something to hold. I don't know, but basically you get your your hand that doesn't want to comply to do a thing so that it's right. busy. You treat it like a toddler. It's like, well, this toddler is being destructive. Let's, Let's go give it, it a toy. Yeah. Also, that's yep. great advice for anyone in any situation. It's just how would I get a toddler out of throwing a fit? And nine times out of ten, that will solve most work problems, most anything else. Yeah. Yep. And, you know, there's there are several different methods. Because remember, there's also basically four different kinds of uh, alien hand syndrome. So not every method is going to work for every situation. Um, so there's... This is one of my favorites. Um, there's where the one, the hand, the non-dominant alien hand, performs an action that's contrary to the other hand. So, for example, I open a cabinet, and my dick hand decides that it's going to shut the damn the damn yeah, cabinet closed. That is pretty dickish. Or, you know, in general, if you want to understand what this kind is, it is non-dominant hand being a general dick to the other hand that just wants to get things done and do the right thing and the other hand's like nah you're not going to do anything that you want to do so there's that version and then there's just the feeling so i told you guys about this one earlier the feeling that the hand just doesn't belong to you it's really dissociative experience um, then there's, you know, what's nicknamed the anarchic hand, and that's the one that uh, does the goal-driven activities the most. 
that are completely also, outside of your control. What a metal name! That is so cool. Anarchic. Hand. I know. If there's not a band out there with that name, you need to take it, musicians. This would be a good place to throw in some anarchy <laughs> sounds somewhere. Guitar shred. <laughs> But yeah, so, you know, if your hand is behaving in that manner, it's anarchic hand, or what's nicknamed anarchic hand. And then there's the supernumerary hand, where it's like, it's a lot like feeling that the hand doesn't belong to you, but it's more like you feel like you have an extra limb. I just got creatures, the feeling that I'm like, can't anyone else (laughs) see this third arm growing off of me? And everyone's like, no, we can't. That made me feel so creeped out. And I think, like, a sub, like, part of that is the levitating hand, where, like, the hand will just levitate on its own. Ugh. That means raising it up. Yeah. So, just, whoop, and it goes up. So, these are, these are the types of behaviors for alien hand syndrome. Um, things that alien hand syndrome, or alien hands, have done. So, pinching... Nipples, like it'll just reach what, over and like pinch the your nipple. Person's nipple or some random person's nipple. <gasps> their, okay, their that's own a nipple. Bit better than a so, random person's nipple. <laughs> and the the way this person described it was like you know like a baby feeding. Weird. Uh, whoa. Yep. Um. Another one is, and this is still in the same realm of uncomfortable and creepy, is. Stroking hair and face. The same, the own persons again, right? Not a, okay, thing. Yes, again. I ju- but you just would, imagine you feel sitting like it there. Was someone else's hand touching your face. Yeah, because you wouldn't know that it was your hand. It doesn't feel like your hand. So you're just sitting there, you're in for the night, watching a movie, and then the hand just comes over and gently so, caresses you, your face. It would be like petting a your ghost hair. is touching me, and then you would be like, no, it's not a ghost. It's a ghost inside my own hand. <laughs> yes. Ooh, haunted, haunted hands. hands. Oh, um, <laughs> levitating, which I mentioned before. Then there is, someone talked about how, you know, you would go to unbutton your shirt and then, you know, the uh, dick hand condition would come over and unbutton <laughs> the like shirt. You're, you're trying, or button you're the shirt like, back so up. I'm tired, I want to go to bed. And the other hand's like, no, go back to work. <laughs> Oh yeah, exactly. And then there was, um, there's reaching, it'll like a hand will just re- reach or try to, you know, grab a hold of something. Um, tearing clothing, uh, rare on rare occasions, it's very rare, but hands have tried to harm uh, the person. So choking or punching, they've been known to punch themselves and this or is choke the themselves. Plot of that bad early 90s movie that started this discussion. Was that the the yes. hand is like doing evil things? Yeah, it, like a dick, double dick hands. Which is double dick hands. Normally, double um, dick hands mean something else, and I wish you could see the sort of circular hand skiing motion that I'm making right now. But in this case, it doesn't mean that there are two dicks in hands. It just means both hands are being dicks, or to each other. Being super dicks to the person that the hands are attached to. 
Um, they have also been known to jerk the steering <gasps> no! wheel sometimes. Oh, God, what the fuck? Yep. I'm getting to some of my favorites now. So, <laughs> one of my favorite stories was uh, Han decided to unzip a unzip this man's trousers and jerk himself off in public listen to any creepy men who should be listening to our podcast one we don't want creepy men to listen to our podcast get the fuck out two how have you not already gotten the get the fuck out by but three not a good excuse for doing this it would be very clear whether or not that was a consequence of yeah alien hand syndrome so oh, there's no God. getting away with it but <laughs> just like just whoop and just taking care of himself. Also, uh, I'm sorry. This one but is really it's funny. It's also horrifying. It's horrifying all around. But I imagine everyone who was around him because he was in public was like, "No, ew, gross." And at the same time, he's like, "Ah, oh, I hate this. I hate this." <laughs> Which would be even scarier and more upsetting <laughs> to watch. Like, if it's not bad enough that some dude is jerking it in public, that he's like weeping and like i'm so sorry i don't mean to do this like it's the hand i yeah, can't control that's even it worse. yes like oh my god see this is why healthcare needs to be taken care of all those people need therapy <laughs> including, including the, man. the man yeah also for some reason i am picturing this happening in a grocery store don't know why that's just what's happening um it's a it's a yeah. pretty horrifying setting all that food, <laughs> all that food. Um, and he's doing it in front of the food no think of the food think of the cheeses so there's one person who talked about how they were trying to turn a tv on or off and so they you know use their dominant hand try to turn the tv on for example and the other hand would just like snatch the remote rude. away it's like it's like having it's like, a sibling. Yeah, it's like having a sibling that you can't get away from you by locking yourself in the bathroom. Um, so this one, I feel like it seems harmless enough, but I understand like the terror because remember, these are these people understand this hand belongs to them, but they don't feel like it is their hand. There's a disassociation, and remember, they don't have control over it. So this one woman was describing her hand as a monster and how every time she would, like, apparently this hand, it's, would just, like, start, op like, wide open hand and start coming to her face, like, moving oh, towards her face. Gosh. And it would just cause her, like, unspeakable terror. It was a monster to her. But, like, also, what a weird thing for, you know, the asshole hand to, like, want to do is, like, I'm just going to put myself on top yeah, of your face. Yeah, that is definitely assholeish. And also, like, that moment of her describing, like, it was so terrifying. Like, ah, that's so scary. I feel for her so much. Um, So that one was probably, like, even when the, somebody was like, well, you know, it's like, punch me or choke me. Like, that is not... That those didn't get to me the way that this woman was talking about the open hand coming towards your face, but um, so that's really scary. But now we're down to my top three. Um, third place is wouldn't let someone smoke. <laughs> so this one person described like every time they go put a cigarette in their mouth, like the other hand would just like throw <laughs> it out. So they're just like, guess I'm guess All I'm right, quitting Mom. smoking. <laughs> 
Um, oh, sorry. These are my top four. Um, fourth runner up on this one is adjusting the thermostat. No, this is my second. That's right. I'm lying. I'm not counting. But, you know, that just seems like ultimate dick hand move. It's just like, I, you know what? It needs to be colder in here. It's already like so negative two no degrees. So if the smoking one is all right mom hand, turning the thermostat down is the stereotypical dad hand, right? Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the dad hand. And then my number one favorite is <gasps> stuffing food in your mouth. Thank you. This is the opposite of a dick hand. <laughs> It's like, just imagine and be like, ah, oh, man, popcorn, and then no, it just is in your it's face. It's like someone tenderly feeding you your favorite snacks. Oh, no. I People have described it as stuffing, so it doesn't sound like it's a pleasant <laughs> experience, but also, I you know, know, just like... Both of us are... What? We really like to eat, so even if we were like, I'm not hungry, I don't want food, but well, all right. <laughs> it just reminds me of, like, kids trying yeah. to, you know, oh. feed you. They just like yeah. shove shit in your face. Yeah. They're like, here. Thank you. Thanks. Oh, yum. Or when they give you fake food and they're like, push it past your lips and it like touches your gums. You're like, yum. So good. This plastic cookie. I'm so full. Please don't give me any more. I'm sure yeah, this is not exactly. sanitary. So, um, last thing to say about this is that it was alien hand syndrome was really first identified in like 1909 oh wow i didn't think it would have been that long ago but at the same time it's also not that long ago so you know we we have a pretty sophisticated understanding of it as far as like what we scientifically and medically are capable right. of knowing about it but it's it seems like um it's just it's just one of those things like uh you know the Fatal familial insomnia. Which like you, you talked the about. The longer that. we go, the yeah, more we might about know about. Episode zero, the the mini sewed before season three, in case anyone is a skipper like me. Yes. Who skips around between episodes <laughs> sometimes. Well, that is my story about the anarchy that is your hand not being your hand. That is wild. I did not know anything about that. I will also say that is very terrifying. Um, Maybe it's because I have, because I do a lot of crafts or like, okay, I, I type on a computer and I'm a teacher and I drive around, but um, I do have nightmares about like having something debilitate my hands is one of my worst nightmares. Like as long as I could, you know, like I can go blind or something, but if I can read braille or still do this, I'd be okay or whatever. Like. But yeah, having something happen to my hands is is really one of my biggest nightmares. This is just a whole new level of that. Well, and I mean, you and I talk about this a lot, but it's like, it is, I mean, it, it really, I don't know, maybe I'm discovering something deeply broken about myself, but like, the idea that your body is working against you, and you're supposed to be a team, you know? Yeah. This shit, this shit really fucks me up. <laughs> it does. And if if this is repetitive, which it probably is, uh, Clint can cut it out or all of you can skip ahead. But I had allergy problems when I was in my 20s for like the first time in my life. I just had horrible problems with um, skin sensitivities where like um, I couldn't, it got to a point where like I could not 
wash my hands in public without fear that that soap would somehow cause some sort of skin reaction. And it was mostly on my face. So it got to the point where I just could not touch my face. And like, to this day, I still will try very hard not to touch my face and especially my eyes. And like, I couldn't wear any makeup. And like, I just had, I remember I had a a birthday party and I was like, I really want to wear makeup. And so I wore makeup. And then actually it was a Saturday and Clint came over to my house on the Sunday. And like one of my eyes was like swollen shut. And he was like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. I knew this would happen and I did it anyway. And I like, you know, I figured out the allergy thing. I don't have problems with this anymore. I know what to avoid. I know blah, blah, blah. It's fine. But I was talking to my friend Michaela, who's a nurse about this process. And I was like, the thing that's so frustrating about it is that my body is doing something that I'm, I'm not telling it to do this. And I can't understand why it's doing this. Like if, if it was like, stay away from this thing, I would, but like, I can't figure it out. And it's so frustrating. And Michaela, my friend, the nurse said like, oh, that's a really common thought process that like people who have cancer and serious diseases have to have therapy to talk about is this feeling of like, my body is doing something that I'm not telling it to. And that's really frustrating. That's kind of weird. I guess, I guess humans are hardwired to think that they have control over you know, everything that this physical shell that they live in. Yeah. Like we're, we are hardwired to think of ourselves as a team, like you say it. And then when, when one of the teammates goes rogue, like it's really hard to deal with. It's really hard to process. <laughs> but that's another question I had for you is this. So the DSM is the diagnostic and statistical manual, which is the manual of mental disorders. So if you are diagnosed with anxiety or ADHD or whatever, it has to have a DSM classification. Um, And fun fact, insurance companies will usually only reimburse you for mental health services if you have a DSM classification, which is one of the reasons that very good therapists and psychologists will say, I'm going to diagnose you with this right away, because that means your insurance will cover it right away, even if it's not a great diagnosis. But That's a whole other thing. But my question for you was, is this in the DSM as like a mental disorder or is this purely treated as like a physical problem? It's a, it's a medical condition. It's not a, it's not psychological. Yeah. That's interesting too. And, um, it's, what I was reading is like, it's, it's treated more as a nuisance than it is, you know, a life-threatening condition, which, or like a, you know, in a medical emergency, which makes sense. Like, you know, like these things are annoying and, and in, in some ways can, you know, generally to some degree, yeah, when it acts like up, your day-to-day life or something. impact your day-to-day. But that's only if you're having extremely rare, very frequent episodes. Like, yeah. like I said, people don't, it's not like a, always a constant thing. And then on top of that, Sometimes it goes away. Sometimes it goes away after a long, long time. But the general sense of it is, it's like, it's it's a it's a weird and funny thing that happens. And like I said, you know, their treatments for it are things like just sit on your fucking hand <laughs> or give it something to do, you know? It's so interesting. It, it complicates how we think about the body, right? Like you said, we are teammates. And when we stop being teammates it becomes something else 
it also remember and maybe Clint will cut this out, but it also reminds me. So like, um, I've talked about how I'm a teacher and I do research and some of my research is on mental health, um, and sort of how people talk about it and how it's represented. And, um, I met this really interesting person who also does research on mental health. Um, and she has Tourette's. And so some of her work is on Tourette's and it's this really interesting thing of, any well researchers looking at ways to think about the body in a way that's not functioning malfunctioning so instead of thinking of mental illness or Tourette's or this thing as your body being wrong it's like your body is functioning but it's functioning in a way against capitalism against normative society um, and so what would it look like if we approached bodies that way? And sometimes like, that's a really interesting thought process. And sometimes I really like it. And then other times I'm like, well, you know, my mental illness makes me feel terrible and doesn't feel like me. It feels like a space invader. So no, I don't want to accept it. I want to get rid of it. Um, but there is this whole spectrum of like different narratives about the way that the body works in that field of research is so fascinating. Um, and this sort of fits into that of like, on one hand, it is really scary to think of your hand doing something that you are not telling it to do. And then it becomes this crazy thought experiment of like, well, what if we just said, yeah, it's totally normal for hands to do whatever they want. I don't think that that would make that woman who saw the hand as a monster feel any better. <laughs> No, I mean, that's the problem that I have is like, um, and this is why I have a master's and not a doctorate. And this is why I do research lightly and teach most of the time is because that's a really cool thought experiment, but you still have to live in the real world. And this isn't giving anyone things that make you feel better about the real world. Like if you are talking about the overthrow of capitalism and how you could do that intellectually, that's great. But that does not help someone who's struggling to feed themselves. Like at the end of the day, you have to care about bodies and people who are alive right now before you care about all those other bigger ideas. Well, classic, classic episode. We're ending on big, heavy thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> it is a classic episode. Oh, here's a scary story. Now let's get philosophical about it. <laughs> I know. And so before we recorded this, I was like, Emily, this is a short one. You're going to like it, but it's a short one. And I was thinking, like, this is going to be the light fun episode because, like, it's a little hilarious. It's a little comical to think about your hand being autonomous. But here we I go. I know, but it went so dark and touched so deeply into the sad <laughs> creepy hallways of my skeletal heart <laughs> well on that note it's time goodbye forever goodbye forever All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. 
If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. Before we started recording, I could just hear the ice tinkling in your cocktail. Oh, this one here. Hold on. Oh, that's such a beautiful sound. Clint uh, likes to, when we make background noise, he gets he tells us if we want to do an ASMR podcast, then start that. That's a separate po- uh, project. But don't do all this background sound. And I've got to say... That cocktail glass tinkling, that's so beautiful. That could be an ASMR one. Yeah, it's a good sound. I agree. Very pleasant. Just like an 18-hour loop of a YouTube video of just that sound. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jennifer, I was going to tell you, this. we're recording ahead of time because we're being really good and um, professional, but this this episode is going to come out the day before my birthday. Well, in that case, happy day before your birthday, Emily, but also not on the day that is actually before your birthday. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I feel insipid wisdom, like I'm about to just immediately become smarter. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, 33 is looking good. Well... I'm still a year ahead of you. Yeah? Do you have any anything you'd like to tell me from the future? Um, I enjoyed 33, but I'm liking 34 a lot more. Yeah, you know, I uh, aside from the fact that hangovers are so much worse. Oh my god, they're so much worse. And, like, you can't just eat whatever you want and have no consequences. Aside from that, getting older is really not that bad. In fact, it's kind of the best. Yeah, the uh, level of giving a shit factor really changes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you have no shits to give, and so you're like, I'm going to do what I want. I don't give a fuck what you think, and it is glorious. For all those high schoolers out there, don't worry. Your 30s are coming. Oh, they're so good. And also, like, I know that I'm going to continue feeling this way as I get into my 40s and my 50s. Because the only people that I want to talk to me on planes when I'm sitting next to them are middle-aged women. Everyone else can fuck right off. But middle-aged women are just like, I have zero pretenses. I don't give a shit what's going on. I'm going to live my best life. Fuck the rest of you. And I'm like, I'm in for this, Karen. (laughs) Also, Karen might bring snacks. Yeah. Uh, One time... This is the best stranger on a plane story I've ever had. Uh, I sat next to this woman who, like, we kind of made small talk, and I was like, oh, she's cool. And she ended up being this, like, crazy, like, former sort of groupie person who, like, lived in L.A. in the 80s and did crazy shit. And she was, like, telling me these insane stories. And 
I was like, oh, who have you seen? Like, because she was in L.A. in the 70s and 80s. She's like, everyone. And I was like, Led Zeppelin? And she's like, yeah, they were okay. And she said that uh, <laughs> Phil Collins was actually one of the best people that she ever saw live, which, okay, blow my mind. Um, but then also, this was her snack. She pulled out cocktail shrimp and little, like, cocktail dipping sauce. And she's like... <laughs> And I was like, that's a great idea, because those are good, and they don't smell. And she's like, I know, do you want a shrimp? And I was like, hell yeah. And she, like, bought me a cocktail, and I was like, this is the fucking best. Um, but yeah, anyone else that I sit next to on a plane, I'm like, I don't want to know about your, like, business dealings chat or whatever the fuck, or any young person. I'm just like, shut up. But yeah, middle-aged women, they're they're the best. Well, now we all know about... Your inherent bias against everyone except middle-aged women on planes. Yeah, and I I will not back down from this. This is a hill I will die on. <laughs> everyone else is miserable. Middle-aged women are the best. Because <laughs> they have zero fucks. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. And they're not like teenagers who's like, I don't give a fuck. Fuck you. I'm rude. They're not like that. They like genuinely do not care. They're like, well, this is what I'm into. And if you're not into it, kick rocks. I'm like, I respect that. And the things they're into are always like teaching or shrimp or music or like <laughs> things that are just genuinely interesting. Especially not shrimp. Like, Especially shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> Have you, do you watch The Good Place? Mm hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that first several... episode. Several people, including Clint, have told me that I am Eleanor, and uh, my uh, monologue just now on shrimp kind of confirms that. You you might be Eleanor. <laughs> I Well, she describes herself as an Arizona trash bag, and I do often describe myself as a trash person slash living raccoon, so there you go. <laughs> can, I, can I be the cheaty to your Eleanor? Well... My boyfriend has said that he's cheaty, and it's true, he's a very anxious nerd, so it kind of fits, but... I guess I'm not really an anxious nerd. No, I feel like you are also Eleanor, but, yeah, I guess maybe together combined we are complete Eleanor, <laughs> and separately we're just half Eleanor each. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've solved the good place... Yep. Uh, also, y'all should watch it if you haven't been. It's great. They do not sponsor us, but they should. We're hilarious. Or at least Eleanor should sponsor us. Mike Schur, who created The Good Place and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Rec and worked on The Office, sponsor us, Mike Schur. We love you. <laughs> she totally just quoted that off the top of her head. I want to be 100% clear about that. Yeah, I just know that as a fact. That's just something that's in my brain forever. I feel like we need to have a segment now uh, whenever you jump in with your random knowledge, and it's just called Facts by Emily. <laughs> it would also be a great segment because I have a terrible memory, so there's all kinds of big things that I have no memory of that I should remember, and then some random thing will rattle out. I have no idea <laughs> what will ever come out of my brain. Like, it's a mystery to me, too. <laughs> Speaking of mysteries, I think we should uh, do the intro. Yeah, speaking of mysteries. Yep. Also, I got to pause. But Clint, you can cut this out. Felix, go to bed. 
Go, go lay down. You're being creepy. Go to bed. He does this thing sometimes where he just, wherever I'm sitting, he puts his chin on that surface and stares at me so intently that it like legitimately creeps me out. Like I feel unclean and and spooked out it's weird so anyway i had to shoot him it was upsetting uh he's an intense dog anyway uh now we're back in continue on